You want to talk? I have some more public land stuff we can talk about. It's been a busy month. Um, I want to ask you about user fees. Because I thought that was a really interesting conversation. And I've actually had a, a follow-up conversation on that after we talked about it. All right, so stay close together, you guys. Don't drift too far away from the mic. I mean, especially when you're talking. You don't have to stalk it the whole time. But um, Okay, here we are. We're back. Back from the shadows. It's been a while since we've recorded. This is Hammer Factor 58. I'd like to start off by introducing my co-host, former, former North Fork champ, Lewis Geltman, Island Crossing Expeditionist, John Weld. We're back at it. How's it going, boys? It's good. We cannot go this long without recording. I know. We definitely yeah. had a lot of messages. A lot of that's my fault. I've been super busy. We did Float Life Fest, which I can tell you guys all about. Um, <laughs> it's the largest one-wheel gathering in the world. So. What? <laughs> Basically, it's this is at the end times. That's, that's what I'm seeing. <laughs> Just a minute ago, you were telling us about how the, all the water you guys have down there, and you, you're out one wheeling. Well, I was filming and doing 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 media work for it, but it was pretty incredible. There were 300 one wheelers that got together here in Asheville, North Carolina, for a weekend of one wheeling, riding, and music and camaraderie. How many and how many sprinter vans were there? Do you reckon? Oh God, some of the pimpest vans you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> what was the ratio of one wheel devices to sprinter vans? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> but there was like it was not just sprinter vans. There were like kind of old VW like pimped out buses like you'd take to a car show. People brought their own like generators and satellite dishes, and they were like watching like South Carolina football on like a giant screen, and it was pretty incredible. How so I'm imagining like it's like a bunch of dudes like in their 40s and 50s. Is that about right? White Man, dudes, a lot of cargo shorts. It was that last year, but this year it's like, I mean, it was. We had a juniors class in the freestyle competition. There's like, there's like a. Dude, it's. I'm telling you, it's a thing. It is a How thing. Are charging these one wheels. I'm picturing like a big field. <laughs> and like eight hours later, a bunch of dead one wheelers. Well, that's why they have two one wheels. So when one's charging, they can be one wheeling on the other one. So, but anyway, there's like, there's power on the site at Deerfields where it's at. And literally, I mean, there'd be like a hundred one wheels. I mean, circuit breakers are popping left and right. <laughs> but, but now it was, it was really, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, we're joking about one wheelers, but, to to the normal culture we're like sitting here talking about whitewater kayaking so i'm not sure we really have a leg to stand on but anyway that was one thing i've been doing and then it's obviously (laughs) (laughs) then it's obvious uh it's green race season so there's a lot going on there um you guys i'm sure have been sleeping in until about what 10 30 11 getting up i mean there's no water in the rivers there so what are you doing nothing Scourge life. <laughs> like obsessively checking, circling between Wonderground, the Cliff Mass weather blog, <laughs> the National Weather Service narrative forecast discussion. Uh, 
the climatological predictions on the NWS website. <laughs> you're like out. On, you're you're at every like sixty day forecast. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should get a weatherman on next episode to see if it's ever going to start raining out there. That'd be cool. I wonder if Cliff Mass would come on. Oh, that'd be a good one. Well, it's full hysteria here in the green race. Um, Rush is coming back out, so that yes. ought, that ought to be good fun. So, um, and man, I I got to give hats off to like to, to the bigger names people who come to the green race because, I mean, you come out here and there's like a chance you're gonna get beat by like a 17 year old Chris Hall or Bernie Engelman or people that you have no idea who they are. You know what I mean? It's kind of like laying it on the line because you only get one chance. So. Anyway, my hats are off to, to Rush or anybody who comes out and, and lays it out. It's not like you get to redeem deep yourself. field. You might get humbled for sure. Exactly. You know, there's there's, there's a deep field. conspicuous absence, I should point out. Uh, Isaac or DeGill? No. We'll Who? get to her in a minute. Who? <laughs> Who? Uh, well, Noria. Yeah, Noria's not coming to the Green Race. We will have to talk about Noria. We had some good messages come in on our show with Noria not too long back that we haven't covered. I don't believe we've covered them yet, have we? I don't think so. Anyway, it's like, you know what it's like here in Asheville, North Carolina? I was thinking about this. It's like... <laughs> Can John and I take that one? We're just gonna, I'm just going to go grab a cup of coffee. <laughs> it's like, have you seen like, have you seen like, have you seen like Rocky movies where he's like in there beating on like a dead cow in the freezer, like getting ready for like the big fight? You guys know what I'm talking like, about? Like that Rocky like scene? That, but like a drum circle? Dude, there's a line at the butcher. Oh, shut up. <laughs> there's like a line at the butcher shot. It's like, it's like the, the training scene and like, I don't know what it's like. It's like Yoda, like teaching Luke how to, like, you know. Don't... You somehow meld the green race into your wrestling days in like an '80s movie. Oh God, dude, it just has eaten me up. And then, so, just cut me off if I start talking too much about the green race. And then, okay, so like, we're done. So I come out, you know, <laughs> I was injured. I didn't kayak all this summer, and so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna get my longboat out and do a lap. And oh my God, dude. I was crashing into everything. I think I told you well. I pee time my brains out and just like it's just been tragic for me. So luckily I don't have any bets going on this year, but it's gonna be a crazy year. Um Can I ask you a quick question? Are you going to beat Rush? I don't it's gonna be hard for me to it's gonna be hard for me to like crack the so top no. thirty or forty this year. So no. I Rush mean, is it, gonna get is gonna get is gonna is going to um, beat you in this one. Well, I mean, if he paddles into a pile of rocks, he's if he keeps from doing that, he's probably going to he's probably going to get me. But I don't know. I think we're going to have like 15 people in the junior class this year, which is pretty exciting. That's and, awesome. Uh, hmm. No, it's uh, it's off the hook. But I won't. I won't. How one thing. We, how did me and Weld get in on the Calcutta without tipping you off to any dark horses? Is what I want to know. <laughs> There's no way to do that. but you know if you want to if you want to do like uh i think we're going to do a live facebook bidding on racers this year so for the calcutta so if you guys want to get in on that you can get in because we've started this new thing and i got to give a huge shout out to mark hunt this is real stuff not just me talking about like rocky movies but we've started this thing and mark hunt has really helped head this up 
So at the green race, you have like NC Wildlife, which helps like maintain the trails. They redid like I don't know how many tens of thousands of dollars it took for them to redo the trail in and out of the green. They did that fully on their own. Um, we have like the Green River Keeper. Blue Ridge Fire and Rescue comes out, of course, AW, Green River Access Fund. There's even like a Hemlock Restoration Group that's doing all this work down in the green right now. There's just all these community partners. And so what we're going to do is we've started this Green River Conservation Program. So basically each year, racers, because it's a free race to enter, they can donate however much money they want and... They can get their fans, supporters, family, whoever, to match their funds or however they want to do it. There's a link to all of this, and it's just going up on the Green Race Facebook page when this podcast goes live. And so then we're going to take that money and um, basically divide it up into all of the key players around the green. So it's going to be an annual thing we do. I mean, it's a free race, so racers can come in. They can just put in 40 bucks and challenge somebody to raise 40 bucks, and we'll see what we end up with, and we'll see how this all goes. What do you guys think about that concept? That's awesome, man. I've been wanting for us to do something like that for the little white race around here for a long time. Like I'm, you know, we also, I guess we've done it. There's a small entry fee, but it goes, the money goes to world-class for like the race expenses and the prize money for the winners. But I think it'd be really cool. And this is something we've talked about for a long time out here, but using that money to start, you know, taking the kind of the first steps towards some sort of conservancy for the little white, just because, you know, there is a lot of timber company land ownership out here and, you know, you just never really know what kind of access threats are coming down the pike or what sort of development threats are coming. And it would be awfully nice for us to, to get a start on that before we're, you know, before there's some kind of emergency basically. So I think it's our hope that we'll, will raise some money and maybe send that money back to aw to do some little white focused kind of groundwork laying for you know maybe it's something where we need to buy conservation easements down the road or you know just making sure that this place is protected for the long run and it's not just we're not just kind of taking it for granted but it's cool to hear that i'd be interested to hear what kind of like approach you guys take for that and how that plans out because i think we it would be cool for us to do something similar out here. We're, I mean, we're going to see how – I mean, you know, it'll have kinks this year, but we did a little bit of it last year and raised some money, and so we've kind of got a, like more of an official roadmap, and, you know, we've named it the GRCP, Green Race Conservation Project. So we'll see how it goes, but there's just so many – I mean, God, there's, like, going to be – like 50 volunteers who are coming out to help with everything from safety to directions oh we got a festival this year the big missing piece for the green race has always been like the after the race where we get together and there's this field that i managed to rent big five acre field so we're going to set up a tent out there (sighs) anyway i gotta switch gears or i'm just gonna sit here and talk about the green race this whole show who are your picks what's that who are your picks? He's looking fast. Man, dude, I got to tell you, there is going to be a fast local contingency. There's going to be, this may be the year that some of the people who have been hovering in that like 10th, 15th place are going to rise up and get on the podium. DeGill, I don't think is coming this year. Huh. Obviously, Dane is going to be fast. 
Well, I think I think is this year Dane's going to break four minutes, or no, is that no, next that's year? next year. That's next year. Oh, so you does know. Dane know that? He knows not to break it this year, right? We we haven't discussed it, but I'm sure he's listened to the show. But obviously Dane's going to be fast. Obviously Keller's going to be fast. Obviously Isaac is going to be fast. But I think you're going to see some like Michael Ferraros and some Dylan McKinney's, and maybe your boy Stoutmeister will. I was going to say, maybe I'm, gonna, I'm putting in my I'm putting in my vote for Stoutmeister. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is he going to rise up? Is he going to like take what's his, or is he going to like sit back in the shadows and be happy to be fifth place boy? Excellent question. Okay, well, these are excellent questions for for the Stoutmeister. I think there's going to be a lot of fast people. We've got there's, we got some really we got people coming in like uh, you guys know Henry Munther. Yeah, Henry's coming in from Alaska for the green race. I had this great conversation with him. He was like, you know, he manages a whole like heli operation up there in Alaska, and I mean they've got like twenty five guides. He's dealing with all that, and he just had two kids, and he's like, man, I just had all this stress in my life, and he's like. Next thing you know, I started watching like helmet cam footage of people on grace laps, on green race laps, and it it relaxed me. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, it's the only thing that relaxes me. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna race next year. So it's time for rants and raves. Are we ready to wrap this up? <sighs> okay. Anyway, we got a pack show for you guys. We have uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about back pain, which kind of falls in line with our waterfall conversations we've had last show. Uh, we had a lot of great listener mail come in about the waterfalls. We have relationship okay. advice. We have a relationship expert because we've had some listener mail basically asking about how to deal with uh, the sport and maintaining your relationship. So that that ought to be good. Um, we have a uh, physical therapist, Liz Cook, to come on who is going from Blue Ridge Biomechanics who's going to come and talk about back pain and maybe how to manage it a little bit. She is also a paddler. Oh man, what else we got on this show? Let's Lewis, let's just get right into it. What do you got? What do I got? I don't know. What do you want? You want to talk about the stuff that's on the list, or you want to talk about? Uh, I don't know. There's all sorts of stuff going on, man. You guys want to talk about the roadless rule for a minute? Go for it. Are you familiar with the Forest Service roadless rule? I've never heard of it. So this was uh, something that. Was... Oh wait a second. This is like certain places you can't make a road on public lands. That's right. So in this was finalized in 2001, um, basically at the end of the Clinton administration, and it protects like basically inventoried roadless areas on national forests. So when, you know, at, at the when this rule was finalized, the Forest Service went and they inventoried for the places that are, you know, a certain distance from roads on national forest lands. And it protects those inventoried roadless areas from new road construction and really intensive logging. And it protects like about a third of the national forests. And it's super important because basically it it's like in a lot of ways, it's one of the best sort of management regimes for our sports because you get, you know, really good conservation protections, but you can still ride a mountain bike there. It's not, it's not wilderness. <clears throat> so it's this really important protective tool for, you know, water quality, for wildlife habitat, for conservation values, and it does really good stuff for outdoor recreation. And, you know, this rule got super heavily litigated after it was finalized and two states have 
petition the Forest Service to create sort of special versions of the roadless rule for their states. Um, Idaho did it and Colorado did it. Both of those state-specific rules turned out pretty decently. The Colorado rule might even be more protective than the national rule is. And, you know, for a long time, especially in Alaska, uh, you know, development interests, timber interests have been pressing to, you know, roll this thing back in one way or another. Uh, Lisa Murkowski, the uh, senator from Alaska, has for a long time tried to roll back the application of the roadless rule to the Tongass National Forest in southeast Alaska. And Alaska has now petitioned the Forest Service to develop an Alaska-specific roadless rule, and the Forest Service accepted that petition, and they are developing an Alaska-specific rule. Uh, The comment period for scoping for that just closed October 15th, but there are going to be more public input opportunities as this kind of goes along. And Utah now is taking sort of early steps to go in that same direction. So our expectation is that probably spring of 19, Utah will petition the Forest Service for a state-specific roadless rule. And the Forest Service, you know, looks like they'll probably accept that. And there will be, you know, over the course of several years, the development of a Utah-specific roadless rule. And there are a ton of really high quality recreation zones in Utah roadless areas. So this is something that has the potential to have a really big effect on recreation opportunities on national forests. And, you know, I think it's been a little bit, the Alaska one's a little tough for us because it really is, you know, the Tongass is pretty remote. So it's hard to, to sort of leverage specific identifiable recreation zones to protect the roadless rule. But I think we'll be able to do that hopefully pretty effectively in Utah, just because there are so many, you know, so many places that people know and go and get rad and we'll hopefully be able to help rally those people to, to stand up for this roadless rule. So, you know, I think it seems like, you know, the intentions of the state of Utah are, are pretty bad. The intentions of Alaska, I think we know pretty well, which is to log a bunch of old growth in the Tongass. But, you know, experience has shown that when outdoor recreation community really rallies around this stuff, you know, we've gotten good results in Colorado and Alaska, even though that was quite a while ago now. Um, you know, when the Colorado roadless rule got promulgated, I think it started under a Republican governor and a Republican administration and it ended under a, you know, with a democratic governor and a democratic administration. So that might've had something to do with how well this thing turned out, but this rulemaking is going to go on for a while. So maybe we'll have a different administration by the time it's finished, you know, an administration that's a little bit more hopefully attuned to conservation. So I think we have an opportunity to to make a difference on this thing. And we have some cool maps if you want to check out kind of what's in these roadless areas across the country. There's a uh, a map of different public land designations and some recreation resources, including all the rivers that are in AW's river database. That's all up on the Outdoor Alliance website. So check it out if you're interested. So I have two questions. First, if you don't live in Utah, do you have any input on this? 
Yes, absolutely. National forests, they belong to all of us, no matter where they are. I mean, I own just as much of a stake in a Utah national forest as a person in Utah does. And how come Utah can make a state law that affects that national? So it's not a state law. Utah petitions the Forest Service, ah. and the Forest Service does the rulemaking. And for sure, the federal land management agencies are super deferential to the states, to the locals. And, you know, that's in a lot of ways as it should be. But we all have a, a stake in this as well. So so the second question is, where where do the one wheelers stand on this? And have you <laughs> gotten them together on this issue? I have not reached out to the one wheelers. I, I, I guess I would have to I could only speculate as to their attitudes regarding roads. Right. But, you know, maybe as one wheel technology advances, it'll be important to preserve some challenging one wheel terrain for the future, including roadless areas. What do you think about e-bikes? What do you think about e-bikes? <laughs> I've never thought about e-bikes till we came here and they're everywhere around here. It's like a serious thing. Oh, yeah. It's on the rise. I mean, yeah, I, I know Imba spends a lot of time thinking about what appropriate regulation of e-bikes looks like. I mean, I think if there is a place to ride e-mountain bikes, it probably is places like Post Canyon, like our backyard trail system here in the gorge where it's, you know, a lot of trails that look like they could have been built by pavers in the middle of clear cuts. Yeah. It's like if you're going to ride an e-bike, yeah. it seems like as good a place as any. <laughs> I was doing the most Oregon thing imaginable last weekend. I was mountain unicycling with my kids and other people who were mountain <laughs> unicycling. <laughs> Is there like, so, so, so as we segue from making fun of one wheelers, let's go into this unicycling thing that you got going on here. Is there like, is there like a meetup group? Is there like a secret I, I, Facebook I, I, page I for you guys? How ridiculous this was. All right, don't get away from the mic, John. I was losing you there. Sorry. Um. Whoo, man, we got a stack show today. Where should we go from here, guys? Should we should we get into our love advice? Let's let's do the listener feedback, or where are we standing with time with uh with with our guests? Um, I think she, I think we got about ten minutes before we bring her on. So why don't we cover that and uh and then we'll go from there. Okay. So we're, we're, what are we doing? We're going to go. Let's go into some listener feedback here. Does anybody want to? We, I'll go ahead and read this one. This is a listener mail here. This comes at us. Do we have a name with this email or is this anonymous? It was, we'll just call this person NLNF. Okay, NLNF. This is a... <laughs> 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 the the uh, the subject is concerned listener. So immediately, you know, we don't get too many of those. So I popped right into this one, forwarded along, and it says, "I just finished listening to the episode with Noria on as a guest speaker, and I'm a bit disheartened by what I heard. I'm not taking away from the facts that Nor Noria is one of the best kayakers in the world, and what she accomplished accomplished recently in India and the Bighorns has been amazing to watch and hear about." First off, if she thinks there isn't enough drama in the kayaking community, she is more than welcome to keep her own drama out of it. <laughs> My favorite days on the water are completely drama-free with friends who are also drama-free. 
Sonoria, leave your drama in France. Thanks. That being said, who does Noria think she is raiding people's kayaking styles by what she thinks is right? She mentions mentions Southeast kayakers taking round strokes. I think I understand what she means by this, but coming from someone who is well-seasoned in kayaking in the Southeast, if we take vertical strokes all the time, we could catch our paddle on rocks. Wait, can I just pause this for a second to say this is the point at which reading this email, I thought that this was somebody writing in tongue-in-cheek. Please. <laughs> yes, vertical strokes are faster and more efficient, but but we need to work with what we have. We have manky drops with not much water. You know what? I'm not going to let whoever this is speak for my for the for the motherland out here. All right? It's rained 110 like, inches. 110 inches of rain on Mount Mitchell this year. Anyway, let Tell me, me you didn't read at this point and think it was just somebody writing and taking the piss. <laughs> hey, I'm just here for the hair factor <laughs> listeners, all right? That being said, I would expect some Southeasterners were offended by what Noria said. She talked about all of Southeast kayakers, their morals and values, and essentially calling the green race a redneck race, even though it has been going on for nearly 25 years. If I was her, I would be scared to come to the green race too, for a multitude of reasons. After all, we saw what happened to Rush. <laughs> right. Sincerely, no longer a Noria fan. And so, I would add no longer a Lewis fan onto that. Yeah. Oh, man. That, <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. When I saw the, the headline to this and read the first sentence, I really thought that this was in reference to Noria using a, a slur, which she was quoting someone else. But I thought that that was what this was about. And I was like, oh, God. Was that the gay and, comment or something? Pardon? Was that the gay comment you were talking about? Yeah. yeah. That was what I assumed this was about. And then I and then I thought that it was just somebody writing in tongue-in-cheek. And then all of my prejudices and stereotypes about the Southeast were proved to be true. It was a real tour de force of an email, I thought. <laughs> so you're a succubus elitist too, Gutman, huh? Absolutely. That's right. All right. Well... <laughs> You know what? Stay on your side of the mountain, son. In, in Noria's defense, I I think I egged her into that style comparison discussion. <laughs> I don't think that was her idea. That was she was forced into that. Also, who more qualified to do it? <laughs> True. I've been thinking a lot about Noria. I'm I'm beginning to to really harden my thought that she is the best kayaker in the world right now. When you look at the breadth of someone who's world champion. Winning world championships and running sites ad, that's an enormous piece of bandwidth in terms of kayaking, to use a cliche. You're such a fanboy. Whatever. I had I had a lot of people uh, comment on the Noria interview from around here, and they definitely yeah. had some things to say, but, you know, whatever. I thought it was entertaining, personally. She'll be at the Green Race. She can't stay away. You know what I mean? It's like... She can't stay away. She's sitting there thinking about it right now. <laughs> Maybe she's thinking about you. She's not thinking about me. She's thinking about the Green Rails <laughs> race. Um, we'll have to get uh, – yeah, anyway. Um, should we go through a couple more listener mails here? Brownie Lyles writes in, spot on, boys. Don't change a thing about your show. Brownie, you're hired. That goes into my one of my – on the list of favorite names writing in, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Brownie has a uh, Brownie has two boys named Stokes and Banks, as well. Really? 
Yeah. You know this guy? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Um, message to script. Uh, this comes from Scott Shepard. This is... Uh, He's sort of in love with Lewis here. Hey, guys, really dig the show and very much appreciate the effort it takes to put it out there. As someone who tends to bury my head in the sand to avoid the horrors of today's political climate, I wanted to give some props to Lewis for continuing to present important information to a bunch of attention deficit kayakers. We may not want to hear these things, but we need to hear them. It was Lewis that finally got me off my ass to join and give money to AW. So thanks. There you go. Uh, Man, we got some good ones here on Waterfalls. Oh, man. Do you want to go into some of these while I patch Liz on here? Because this will be a really good segue into talking about back pain. Well, we got very few segments we've done has gotten as much listener feedback as the Waterfall shows we've done. I guess there's two of them we could say, right? And I. I think, I mean, I kind of feel like the general consensus is that people that can't, the listeners can't quite put their finger on it, but everyone seems to sense there's something different that happens at a hundred feet where it's, it's people are really scratching their heads to figure out if this is still part of kayaking and if it's really something that sensible people should do or not. And I think every email we got reflects that in some way or another, uh, and I'm going to take an opportunity once again. If you're writing into the show, you have to understand uh, how quickly, how many emails we get and how we have to condense these things down. Please try and get these things down to like a couple key points that we can we can get because some of these were literally, uh, you know, dissertations on, on the subject. So we got one email from a uh, – he wanted us to really sort of protect his identity. And let's just say this person is in the military and has experienced – uh, has done some training in in what he calls risk management, and basically he says, according to his training, that uh, that they uh, they talk about uh, a risk index where you start with with a basic level of risk, and then through skills you you mitigate that risk to a point at which you can make a sensible decision on on whether you're, you know what, on what, if you're going to do this this thing or not, whether you're jumping out of a plane or running a waterfall or whatever. Um, and I, I think if I could read between the lines here, I think he was suggesting, and I could be wrong about this, but I think he was suggesting that the, that one of the issues with waterfalls was that we're not, we're not getting any better at running these things. And so the experience that would normally mitigate risk in other aspects of whitewater is not coming into play with waterfalls. Um, and I, I would happen to agree with this. I mean, I keep thinking about this in the sense that. You know, if you look back for the past 20 years, the people running 100 foot waterfalls were not getting any greater success rate. And maybe it's because we need better boats or better equipment, but whatever it is, we're not doing it. Um, I disagree. Okay. Well, anyway, I think so. To, to stay on this person's point, I think he was he was saying that many things you can mitigate the risk through experience, and there seems to be a, 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 a running waterfalls, it, it, it dislocates a little bit there. What's your so, thoughts, Lewis? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess I just. Just being in a, a zone with a lot of waterfalls and seeing guys running, you know, coming through here on serious waterfall tour. And I mean, just going from, 
you know, like 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 the frequency with which Mitlocko started getting run, or um, you know, just watching the like control in the air and the ability to make pretty fine adjustments to bow angle of the you know the best guys in the game doing this. I mean, to me, it's I see it and I'm like, that's really impressive and hmm. hard to do. Like just making really subtle adjustments and sort of mixing of techniques and I don't know. I, I guess I see it and I'm impressed. And I mean, maybe again, maybe, maybe we're talking about in the 60 to 80 realm and things start changing again. Once you get, you know, North of a hundred. That's, but, I mean, I think to clarify, I mean, I think that's what people, most people who rode in were, were keying in on a hundred foot mark. Yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying, Lewis, but, even the people that are doing everything right are still breaking legs, breaking backs, breaking faces. Well, when, I mean, I think you got to take the, you know, the two broken legs I can think of were like EG on Puma and um, Shredward on Alexandria. And like, I think both of those situations, the problem is the boat, you know, like I think those guys were paddling boats that, well, how come they didn't know that? Well, I think why would they be like, "I have the wrong boat for this waterfall"? I think Shredward did and did knew that, know that, and ignored it because it was a boat that had already been folded. And, eg, I mean, maybe that was the first time that it happened, or I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lesson to draw from that, but I'm not sure that the lesson is this whole thing is just a dice roll, and that's that. All right. Well, moving along, uh, Patrick Smith is a friend of mine back from West Virginia. Uh, he wrote in and was pointing out that, well, he, he just gone through a, uh, he had, um, a brain surgery. I'm not sure it was the right word. He had a, a brain condition that required surgery, but he was mentioning that, um, you know, I think he was supporting Bren, uh, in the sense that Bren shouldn't let this injury stop him. And, and he, and Patrick says at one point, I can fully understand Bren's fast return to the sport and desire to continue pushing the limits. Since surgery, I progressed by paddling more than expected with successful runs than she can in lower golly. I cannot imagine allowing injury to hold me back from pursuing this great sport, but I do believe as a community and a sport, we could benefit uh, from more research and development in the protection of paddlers. Um, and I mentioned that because that's something I did here as well is that, it seems to be many people are approaching this issue as a equipment issue as much as anything. Like we just don't have the right equipment for protection. I, I stand um, in that boats. camp. I stand in that camp. I just think there's like more gear needed to do this. Yeah. It's not like your normal rip down the river. Aaron Clancy wrote in, um, she mentioned being in Alexandria fall, <coughs> falls and, was making his remarks on the nature of running waterfalls, but really the point the the point that she gets to is that she weighs in a shark versus bear, and I think this is an important thing to to re, <laughs> to think about when we're discussing the subject. She says, "I agree that the bear is the underdog, but sharks have an Achilles heel. It's called a tonic immobility, a natural state of paralysis that occurs when they are flipped upside down." On rare occasions, orca whales off the coast of California have been observed killing great white sharks by ramming them, flipping them over. And then holding the shark upside down until they suffocate. It could be a long shot, but if a bear could do this, even into deep water, it could win. And I think that sheds some some necessary light on this discussion. Well, um, it, just, it just shows me that the, the debate continues. I mean, absolutely. we still haven't settled that one. 
Why? There's only one way to do that, really, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wyoming Caleb, thank you. He gets right to the point. Two possible explanations. Um, uh, if you have a perfect line and get slammed on a waterfall, one, it's a gamble and a perfect line isn't always good enough, or you didn't actually have a perfect line either due to execution technique or equipment. Boom. So I was talking with Tommy Hillicky about this uh, a couple weeks ago, and I think he said it best. He said, uh, it always feels a little loose over 50 feet. And I think that is sage advice from a wise man. Well, should we get into our uh, special guest for this show? Let's do it. All right. So we are going to have on the show today... Uh, Liz Cook. Liz Cook is a uh, physical therapist going on four years. She started in uh, central Kentucky and basically moved her clinic uh, closer to outdoor athletes, whitewater kayakers, canoers, mountain bikers, and trail runners, which brought her here to Asheville. She's been paddling for a long time and uh, pretty much since she knew and uh, She's worked with several different people um, through not only back pain, but shoulder pain and several different things through the years. And let's see if Liz is there. Liz, are you there? Yeah. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Howdy. How's it? Well, welcome to the show. You're on with uh, John Weld and Lewis Geltman. Can you see them there in your video monitor? I can. How's it going, guys? Uh, Good. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming on. So, Liz... Um, I did a brief introduction there. What is something that maybe people don't know about you or some little kind of fact you can share with our listeners? Um, uh, for a period of time, I, I couldn't really – I had a stomach issue where I couldn't even drink water for about two and a half months. And so I understand what it's like to not be able to do what you need to do. <laughs> I was kind of down and out. <laughs> That's a now, condition. Now, now. <laughs> <laughs> <Dad>. <laughs> and so no, having somebody that knows and understands what it's like to be on the other side of the table, to not know what's going on with your body, to try to figure it out and to looking for solutions. It's really helpful for me to know because I understand the fears, the emotion, the frustration, the aggravation it is to not be able to do it. To not be able to get back and then to not have anybody understanding what's going on with your body sucks. Well, that just made, made me thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> so, Liz, tell me about uh, Blue Ridge Biomechanics. Is that your business or do you just work there or what is that? It is my business. Um, I was working for other people and I didn't really have time for people that I thought I needed to have for them to help them get better the best I, I could help them. And so I said that I was going to go off on my own. I took the leap. I now have this business up and running since January, and it's rocking and rolling. This community has been great, and I've been able to help a lot of people how, how I think it should be done, and people have gotten better quicker and faster from it. Killer. So one of the things we want to talk to you about is back pain. So let's just get right into it. Why do kayakers have back pain? Have you looked at the seats? <laughs> oh, this could come back to outfitting. We got we're talking about this later in the show. Yeah, the outfitting is pretty poor. There's a lot of things that can be done even just with the outfitting. Um, typically, as kayakers, we don't really cross train. We just like to go kayaking, uh, myself included. 
And so it, we just sit in this position. We're sitting a lot for work, and then we go and kayak, and we sit again. And the seats aren't really made for us to use our body as we should. They're not as optimal. And then we decide to kind of crash off, bump off rocks here and there. Happens. Before we off this, will you share your thoughts on what better outfitting would look like? Yeah. So whenever, let's just have everybody scooch to the back of their seats and relax. Everybody relax back in your seats. Feel what your pelvis feels like. Feel what your back feels like. Actually relax. And then I want everyone to scoot to the edge of their seat. Like the front of it? Front of it. Okay. I guess like you're really listening and really excited for what I'm going to tell you next. I'm there. All right, now that you're really jazzed to, to know, now see what your back feels like. You're automatically in a better position and posture, right? Yeah. It's not difficult to try to sit up straight here. Are you but saying we should all see one? <laughs> Are you suggesting no, we should all find a Yeah, no, that's terrible for me. I don't think my knees would be able to take it. <laughs> um, but if you, if you have your seat less scooped out, and you actually build up where your tailbone is a little bit, it'll shift your pelvis forward. So your belly button will come more towards your knee automatically and not have it be where your back has to do it. It's just a, it's a positional change. So if you wedge underneath your tailbone, everybody relax back in and then sit up straight on the edge again and see those two differences within it and feel what you actually feel like you like better. You'll probably like where you're positioned a little bit more forward and you're actually, you have a forward tilt of your pelvis. This helps your core actually activate better than if you're sitting back in this seat. Your core and your body, including your hips, like all that stuff protects your back. And if those aren't on because you're sitting back into the seat, this scooped out seat, then it's not going to be there protecting your back. So how does that relate to your ideas on outfitting, Lewis? I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm struggling with, I'm trying to wrap my mind around how I would achieve that in my boat. Like I'm tracking that. I'm tracking what you're saying, but I, and like, I want to have better posture in the boat than I do, but it's like maybe making some adjustments like with foam to like right where your tailbone is instead of focusing on building it up underneath you in the front so much. Yeah, that's exactly right. Huh. So let me ask you a question. Somewhat, somewhat related. Back in the day, like back in the Cavu, the Cavu day era, there was a notion came around that when you went to boof a drop and it was high enough, what you wanted to do was kind of lean forward so that when you landed, rather than your spine compressing like an accordion, you'd kind of do a bow, you know, you kind of like your body would bend forward. What do you think about that? Are we in cuckoo land or is this something that has some merit? Not cuckoo land. It has merit, but it depends on how you get there. Yeah. You get there by using the muscles to engage you, to pull you forward. Then that's one thing. Cause that's going to, your muscles are already on to support and stabilize your spine. Right. You're just leaning forward and you're using your hip flexors or just relaxing into that movement. Then it's not like really going to help you as much. And so if you get there via turning on your core, basically like doing a sit up, then yeah. that's going to help you a ton more than if you just like lay across the front bow. Hmm. So if you're, if you're, if you're engaged, if you're like actually tucking in like an active sit up position, that's going to give you more support. Like that muscle engagement is going to give more support to your spine. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, if you think about it, if you have like, just like kind of a stick structure and you put that forward and then you expect it to hit as you land, like for it to maintain that, 
or if you put like little foam bubbles around it, those are your muscles. Which one do you think is going to be more supportive to the stick structure? Probably with the foam bubbles around it. Okay. What What about inversion tables? So I hurt my back in Norway a long time ago. Like Here two, we go. 2003. <laughs> and, uh, and I did. press in a minute. <laughs> Jesus, boys. This is a legit question. I've been trying to figure this out for years. And so anyway, I had this horrible back pain. It stayed with me for like two years. I, I tried all kinds of different stretching, working on the hamstrings, the whole nine yards. I never actually went to the doctor, but I'm pretty sure I had like a herniated disc or something. But anyway, I was at Algie's house, my buddy Algie, and he was like, man, you should try my inversion yeah. table. It's really helped. <laughs> like in here, put this crystal around your neck while you do it. <laughs> Don't worry about the peanut gallery over here, Liz. <laughs> so anyway, so I get on this thing, and I lay on my back on the inversion table and kind of let go. Like He's like, don't go all the way upside down. It's too powerful, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So I'm like, okay, I won't. Your chakras will come right out. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, I'm like, I don't feel anything. This isn't doing anything. And Al's like, turn over to your belly. Try like laying on your stomach on the inversion table and going over. And as soon as I did, it's like, you know how when you got like that sore spot in your back and you're like leaning back over a car or you're like just trying to like work it out somehow? All of a sudden, I felt it. I was like, oh, that's getting in there. And so Al was like, don't you know get on the inversion table for more than like 10 minutes i stayed on that thing for like an hour it went fully upside down i was like yes this is doing it and it like i was like oh my god it feels so good and like the pain was gone and so then i went back up and i like put weight on my feet and it was like i crumbled in pain and so it like hurt like super bad and then i had to like lay in bed for two days but <laughs> It's a great story, Grace. Right. <laughs> but after that, my back was like ninety percent better after I recovered from that. What was going on there? Like honestly, in I your opinion, laid, I think you just laid down and rested for a couple days. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I want to hear from the professional here and the, and the crystal that well, helped also. <laughs> can I hear from the professional? So inversion tables are actually helpful. Um, oh. It just depends on uh -huh. what you have going on. Um, so certain people it will make them worse. Certain people will make them better. It depends on what your back pain is caused from. So you know whenever you see on like the Facebook post, you're like, I have back pain, what should I do? And there's like 10,000 different posts and comments of what they should actually do for themselves. I did this and that helped. I did this and that helped. This is the best thing ever. Well, it's because back pain's different for everybody. <laughs> it doesn't fit everybody. If you have a very flexible person, it's gonna be one solution. If you have a very stiff person, it's gonna be a different solution. So if I put that flexible person on that inversion table, it's gonna make them feel terrible. It's gonna make them feel worse. If I put a very stiff person on there that actually needs a little bit more room in between their bones, then they, it'll probably make them feel better. Hmm. Um, but I'm saying I'm stiff. usually if you lay on there for an hour, what happens is that the space between your vertebras increases and then your disc fills up with more water. And so then whenever you put weight back on your feet, you basically make your, if you have a disc issue at all, then you'll actually scooch the disc out even further because it is more filled with water. And so then if you have a bigger water balloon and you smush it versus a smaller water balloon and you smush it, then the bigger water balloon smushes more and more can come out, causing more pain typically. Okay. 
But if you don't have a disc issue, you just strained yourself, needed to chill out a little bit, then it can help a little bit. Or if you do it in short bits, not quite an hour. I think that was my problem. That's not, that's not Grace's style. He goes all in. <laughs> so much water buildup in that big old water balloon. <laughs> Have you tried the Shakti mat yet? No, the but what? you've told me about this thing a million times. Describe this to Liz. Um, this thing is called a Shakti mat. One of our, our listeners wrote in and hipped us to this um, this mat. That it's basically like a short camping mat, like a short thin foam mat, and it has spikes all over the top of it. Like it kind of reminds me of like the soft spikes on golf cleats. Mm-hmm. And you lay on this thing and you get kind of like an acupressure effect. And after it feels pretty unpleasant for like four or five minutes, and then your whole back kind of relaxes and it stops hurting. Like the pain from the spikes stops hurting. And then your whole back feels super relaxed afterwards. I'm, I've been pretty into it lately. Yeah, it's basically like a sensory release. So pain pain travels along what's called a C-fiber. Um, it's basically, if you think about electronics in a house or like how your electricity flows, you have all your electricity wires have insulation around them. But if you, a C-fiber doesn't have any insulation. But how you feel touch, like light touch or light pressure, that is, goes on another type of fiber called an A-fiber, and it has insulation. And so things travel down those faster than if you have an unmyelinated or basically no insulation on the wire. And so if you feel like pressure, you actually turn off the pain signal when it comes into your spinal cord. So then you just feel the pressure instead of the pain, and it changes what your brain interprets of what's going on there. You just feel pressure along your back instead of actually that pain response on your back. It's the same reason why a tens unit is that you feel that like kind of tingle feeling because it travels along a different fiber back to your spinal cord. It's faster than the pain signal that travels and it's a little bit slower. Huh. The smoke and mirrors. It's called the gate control theory is what it is. <laughs> so we have like a, a, at least in my head, we have a generation of kayakers. Well, Uh-oh. are you there? I lost you. Group of little kayaks who are back in. You should I start again? Yeah, yeah. start over with yeah. that one. I lost oh, you. <laughs> so we have, you know, in the past 10 years, people are running bigger and bigger waterfalls and drops. And this is, you know, I think maybe the we've been discussing this a lot in the show the past couple episodes. But with this advent of people running 80 and 90 and 100 foot waterfalls and more and more people doing this, are we going to have a generation of kayakers 20 years from now or hobbled with back injuries? I mean, what have you seen any indication of this or what? And and I, even beyond that, what are the typical chronic injuries of long term kayakers? And I guess I would add just a second part to that question is in addition to the big hits, it seems like people are also running, you know, 10 to 20 foot drops instead of once or twice a year running drops that size, like a thousand times a year. Right. Like people running spirit out here a hundred times a year, right? Easily. Yeah. Um, I think it definitely has a, a role to play within it. I think that that's where some of the cross training and making sure that you are strong in certain region that help and protect it is key. I mean, they talk about in football, the concussion syndromes, that repeated, repeated injury or repeated impact that one time might not be an effect 
be a factor, but over multiple, 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 multiple times, and it starts to become a factor. And I think that it definitely is a potential. I'm not saying that it that it's going to be, because we don't know yet. But it definitely has a potential, and you want to be strong in the other areas that support your spine, especially for off the river. So if you're going to put yourself through a little bit more punishment through through running some of these drops on the river, make sure that you're doing the right stuff off the river. Don't sit so much. Go for walks here and there. Make sure that your core is engaged. Make sure you're using your butt. You know, you look around kayakers, a lot of us don't have any ass. <laughs> I'm not, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but the butt, your butt supports your back a whole lot. And so I think it, the biggest thing is, is like if you're going to do that, then make sure that you're good off the water. Because you can't really change and like shorting the drop wouldn't make it near as much fun. You know, like you're still going to go run it. We're all, we all know it. We're going to go do it. Yeah. You just make sure that Johnny you can do things. John Grace is mentally adding deadlifts to his right. military press routine. He's like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna start doing a thousand clean and jerks three times a week. <laughs> Liz, we had this doctor on who said that military presses were bad for your shoulders, just like with a set of like dumbbells, like I have <laughs> right here. <laughs> this ten pound weight is this bad for your shoulder, in your opinion? No. <sighs> Rest my case, boys. Yeah. <laughs> As long as you're using the muscles that you're supposed to use. Like, if you're using your shoulder blade muscles, it actually makes you stronger and can protect the shoulder. So, what, so if you're running Spirit 100 times a year, what should you be doing when you're not paddling to, to strengthen your core and, and prevent your lower back from hanging out at chips? Yeah, yeah there's three key points. It, it can be a stretch, an exercise, but if you were going to just give one takeaway to every paddler out there, what are three very important things. You can add more if you want. But. Um, one, make sure that you can separate your upper body from your lower body when it comes to your abdominal muscles. Meaning? Like, what's that mean? Uh, if you're going to do a lower ab exercise, you better feel it in your lower abs, uh -huh. not just your hip flexors or your back, because then you're doing it wrong. Okay. A majority of the people that I see come in, they're like, well, I've been working out my core. I'm like, so your hip flexors and your back. Yeah. <laughs> It's not what I want. <laughs> I want you to use actually your lower abdominal muscles. And a lot of times that means taking a step back and doing an exercise that's actually easier than what you want to do, but you actually will feel it in the right spot. Like what's an easily accessible exercise for your lower abs? Like something everyone has access to. Uh, you can lay on your back and just even just tilt your pelvis back into the, into the floor. And so it's just making sure that you can move your pelvis separately from your upper body. Okay. Um, another exercise to add on to that is like once you understand that concept, then add even just like a single leg raise. So straighten one leg, bend the other leg, do your tilt back where you're pressing your back into the floor, and then mm -hmm. raise your other leg up, and then bring it back down to the floor, relax, reset. I do that one every now and then. And yeah. should your lower back remain in contact with the floor the entire time? It should. And you should not have your hands underneath your butt supporting it. That's where everybody goes wrong is they all want to put their hands underneath the butt and they're actually using their hands to support their lower abs and then they're just using their hip flexors. Instead of actually getting that lower abdominal activation. We've all been taught just, oh, well, you can't do it. Just put your hands underneath there. 
it'll be good enough. What else? What's one more? Um, a deadlift is a great exercise. All right. Um, as long as, same thing, as long as you're doing it right, you shouldn't feel your back tighten up with it. You should feel your abs engaging, almost like a corset around your body. That's what's engaging, and then your, and then your hamstrings and your glutes should be working to fire, and that's what's doing your movement. And the, your back should engage, and you should keep that bar pretty close or that kettlebell pretty close to your legs. What about hamstring flexibility? Is that, a, is that a big one for paddlers? It's actually, you know how many people I see with hamstring flexibility issues that come into my clinic? 5%. Really? It's mostly hamstring guarding. Their hamstrings don't actually want to let go because they're trying to hold your pelvis and your, hold your pelvis stability. Usually if your hamstrings are tight, there's a reason why they're tight and you need to associate and assess that before you actually stretch okay hmm. man i need to i need to make a visit to blue ridge biomechanics <laughs> do you have any like resources for for people yeah so i actually i post up a new video every single monday um on my blue ridge biomechanics page and on my youtube page for blue ridge biomechanics and that gives like right now i'm going through a knee pain series and so I'm posting up another video actually right after I get off this. And it, it goes over like a standing movement of how to actually activate your glutes to help with your knee pain. And it's, I think this one's a little bit more geared for mountain bikers, but kayakers can use it too, especially whenever you're portaging. Because we all step down, we all step up, and that really puts some stress and strain on our knees then. And a lot of this can really help with it. Is, are there any back pain videos up there Liz there are there are a couple back pain videos killer well I don't know I feel like, I feel like our guest schedule is dictated by whatever body parts hurting on John Green right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have like a dentist on next week <laughs> oh please don't let me hurt my mouth going through green race <laughs> Well, I don't know. We are running way behind on time right now. We got to get uh, our – we have a relationship um, advice person coming on. We have some listener mail here, and, and he has to be off of the show by 3.30. So we got to move to him, Liz. But thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, yeah, that was awesome. I have to check out those videos. Yeah, let me know if you guys have any questions. I What's the website? What's, uh, where can we find this? Uh. Blue Ridge Biomechanics on YouTube or uh, look up uh, Blue Ridge Biomechanics on Facebook. Either one of those or I, act, I have a website as well that has a blog that has every single one of my videos on there too. What's the URL for that? Uh, www.blueridgebiomechanics.com Okay. There we go. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. That's cool. Thank you. Let me know if you guys have any questions. Um, uh, yeah. Thanks. Will, will do, Liz. Thank you for the time. Yeah, Thank thanks you. a lot. Cheers. Deadlift, sit-ups, spirits flat. <laughs> We're there. Yeah. Okay, can you, Mr. Weld, bring up our relationship advice while I do bring him, see if I can get him on the show? Um, I'm not sure how to... Maybe just What's... read one of the questions. The first one. <clears throat> 
You know what? Let's just well, read. we Let's we just keep read. getting these questions from from paddlers asking about relationships. What's that? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, we, we've over, we've keep getting these questions from people asking about relationships and kayaking. I, honestly, I don't know why they they choose us. Maybe because they know we'll we'll find somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about. But um, we pull out a couple that are kind of indicative of the questions we get, right? So. What do you think? Should I re- should I read one of these out here? Well, let's uh, let's let's go ahead here and uh, see if our um, if our relationship doctor is on. Um, is our therapist there? Can you hear us? Hi there, John. Glad to be back on the Hammer Factor. <laughs> Okay. 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 All right. So we have our uh, relationship therapist on. You have you've been on the show before. Um, we weren't. We didn't really know when we put this out there that you were actually uh, um, sort of an authority in this area. Can you give us a little background? Well, that's right. Uh, it turns out I'm not just an expert on kayaks. I've had a lot of successful relationships. Sometimes two successful relationships at once. <laughs> Plus, in today's climate, it doesn't hurt to be anonymous when talking about sex and relationships. <laughs> okay, well, well, we've had some uh, listener mail come in here, and um, and this one comes in from uh, anonymous Adam. Are you ready to uh, field this this uh, this question here? Yeah, anonymous Adam. Huh? I wonder if we're related. Uh, <laughs> he says, what advice do you have for people who are obsessed with boating, maintaining healthy relationships, boyfriends, girlfriends, etc.? Can it all be balanced? Thoughts on couples that boat together? Is it possible to have a health, healthy relationship with someone who doesn't boat and still be an intense boater? Anyway, it'd be good to hear your thoughts on dating and boating, boating and how they do and don't mix. My boyfriend once told yelled at me i bet you'd rather date your kayak i didn't have a fast enough answer okay cheers y'all well i definitely have some advice to give here (laughs) finding balance finding balance in a relationship is hard this is not unique to intense boaters like adam here time commitments from careers family responsibilities, and hobbies can all present challenges. I applaud Adam for considering how his paddling might affect his partner and for seeking advice about finding balance. If any Hammer Factor listeners fail to see the potential of paddling to be an unhealthy distraction, considering, consider how much of your life has been dedicated to hearing John Grace complain about paddle offset. better things with your free time if i could speak to adam's boyfriend i'd urge him to be understanding that the culture of paddling is a lifestyle to adam adam's car is always going to be damp and dirty adam will always want to vacation in rainy destinations adam will always want more kayaks than he would seem to need in summary adam is a kayaker and kayakers make shitty boyfriends. To Adam's <laughs> I'd say, if you're going to date a self-centered, absentee partner, forget about dating a kayaker. 
Go for someone driven by their career. A banker, <laughs> a dealer, for example, will make more money. And when they do take a break and spend time with you, they'll want to include you in the fun and relax in style. <laughs> Highlights of a life without him will include drinking warm beers with a cab driver while waiting for hours in a rainy, bug-filled jungle. You could have a simple, neglectful boyfriend who still treats you to lobster dinners and frozen drink service at a private beach cabana. You could make a home together that doesn't have neoprene hung to every piece of outdoor furniture and a car that doesn't smell like cat urine. So my advice here is dump Adam and start looking for someone new. Maybe try socializing in venues where shirts and shoes are required. Well, what about thoughts on couples who boat together? Uh, well, they, they say that the couple that plays together stays together. But in my experience, kayakers have some pretty fragile egos. Well, how do you handle being married to a paddler that's better than you? <laughs> I just eat I just eat crow. <laughs> okay. Well, well, who else can we help today? Uh, we have one more letter here. Um, this uh, comes at us from Jeff. He says, hello, guys. Not sure if you're qualified to give advice on this topic. It's Labor Day weekend, and the plans I had for Beaver Fest fell through, but the Upper Yacht, my home run, is releasing all weekend. My girlfriend said I should go boating since she is working all weekend. Keep in mind, I went boating last weekend, and we were on the main salmon earlier in the month. Also, we gutted the kitchen back in February and are still cooking eggs on a jet boil and grilling frozen pizzas. So when she says, in quotes, go boating, does she mean go boating, or does she mean stay home, work on the kitchen, go grocery shopping, and do your laundry? If she means go boating, then I should probably marry her, right? Thanks, Jeff. Hmm, that's a good one. Yeah. Well, there, there are two points I took out of this letter. First, Jeff's girlfriend is employed. Second, she <laughs> encourages him to go boating, even though Jeff's feeding her jet-boiled eggs and frozen pizza. This girl is truly a unicorn. I'm going to have to turn this one around again and give my advice to Jeff's girlfriend. <laughs> to Jeff's girlfriend, leave Jeff. You can do that. In fact, why don't we get together to talk about this? Maybe over a full meal that wasn't prepared on a camp stove. I'd like to listen to you talk about your day working at this job you have. Why don't you drop me a line here at Hammer Factor, and we'll take it from there. Okay. That's very good advice. I'll see if I can... Uh... See if I can put you guys in touch. <laughs> um, ABRG, I, I, I know you don't have a lot of time here, but uh, being that that is, I mean, you pretty much settled it there with that relationship. Do you, do you, have, any, uh, do you have any boat reviews for us? Well, it has been raining here where I live, and I've been putting in some time in some new boats. I'd love to come back on soon and talk about the 12R, or this new Wacomus Prime slice boat that transforms into a creek boat. Okay, very interesting. Well, once again, I think that you've pretty much, uh, you know, answered everything definitively, so thank you for that. Absolutely. <clears throat> Thanks, guys. And seriously, Jeff's girlfriend, call me. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks, thanks, ABRG. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well there we go. I mean, everything from oh, everything man. to everything we cover here on the Hammer Factor. I don't even know what to say. Um, you know what? You know what we need to do? God, how do we end up over an hour? I didn't even talk about the green race that long, did I? Yes. Okay. Well, let's get right into five questions in 30 seconds. You guys ready? Yep. Ready. I think it's Grace Reese to Lewis, if I'm not mistaken, this, this episode. All right. Um, somebody start their clock, and uh, we'll see if we can do this. Lewis, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. All right. This, comes, this comes from Ka- – okay, uh, give me the countdown. Three, two, one, hop. All right, this comes from Cam. Uh, the subject is eyes. Hey, Hammer Factor, are any of you guys the type of freak that has their eyes open while upside down? No, I wear contacts. Okay. Um, not sure who this one comes from. Killing my shot at 30 seconds here, Grace. Cortland Fisher. Hey, Hammer Factor, big fan, love the show. There are plenty of kayak <laughs> dirtbag setups out there from the classic car camping Subaru minivan. My question is, what is that one rig that you've seen that stands out to you, the best boater rig Toyota Tacoma hmm. okay this <laughs> comes from Ben Tornero. Um, what do you guys think about using hand paddles do you ever use them could they potentially be used for a backup paddle can they help technique do they give you the physique of a silverback gorilla thanks guys love the show uh, I don't I think they're probably cool to experiment with I don't think they're an acceptable substitute for a breakdown paddle Simon Westgarth comes in. Does it mess up your paddling going from 60 degrees, 200 centimeter paddle for river running to low feather short playboat paddle for freestyle? Also, does Lewis recommend over 200 centimeter for everyone, even if they are 5'8 or shorter? Oh, sorry. I lost you for a sec there. Um, uh, I use the same paddle for everything. Um, I think switching offsets is hard, but Benny and Rush and some of the other boys who are play boaters do it successfully. And no, I don't recommend a 200 centimeter paddle for anyone, regardless of height. I think we've been a little bit, uh, cavalier and saying 200 all the time. If you're short, you can use a short paddle. Um, I actually emailed Sylvan to ask him for like a range for, you know, like per height, what you should be using, but I haven't heard anything back from him. Okay. Neil Schott. He says, hey, John, hope this wins me a shorty. Unlikely, I know. Good work on the show. Eating din with your co-host, Lewis, now. Ask him on the next show if he wears anything other than the North Fork Championship shirt. I also wear IR t-shirts. Okay. I think that was a little over 30 seconds, but those were really good yeah, answers. Yeah, that was like two and a half minutes, but, but there like, was some... There was like, some- Two minutes of it was grace, though. That's right. And you can tell, yeah, man. Do you, you, know, you send a guy a limited edition Hammer Factor Zinky Sups t-shirt, and he just responds with shit talking. Right. Is that what happened? Parents. Neil yeah. did that? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Neil's, <laughs> Neil's off Do you team. open your extra water, Grace? Uh, I don't always, but when I need to, I do. 
that makes any what sense. What are you looking at? I've never opened my eyes underwater. Never, ever. Not once in my life. Even if you're just in a big trundling, like in a hole in a pocket or something, you're not like looking around trying to figure out where hey, you're hey. at? No, no, Do you, Lewis? I use the force. I wear contacts. So that means you can't open your eyes ever underwater. Uh, I mean, I guess it's not like 100% certainty that I would lose a contact if I opened my eyes, but... It would go from like zero to fifty percent chance I'd lose them probably. I don't normally, but there are definitely <laughs> are times when I'll do it. That's for so, sure. So I would like to open my eyes underwater. I think if I ever got that LASIK surgery, I would start experimenting with it. I, I don't know what you're going to see. I mean, besides like brown aerated flashes of light. I mean, I don't know. Might be interesting. You should try. I use the. With the hand paddles, I broke a paddle in the upper yacht a couple of years ago. My beloved Shogun uh, broke, and I thought I was, getting, I was getting ready to hike out, and someone pulled out a pair of hand paddles, and they weren't too bad. I mean, I, my, I broke the paddle literally in the first 100 yards of the whitewater and did the whole rest of the river with hand paddles, and I thought for sure I was going to eat shit the whole way down the river. Nothing before I was in the truth. I was amazed at how I could – I did the boop at National – the death slot, powerful popper. I pretty much ran all the normal lines. I mean, it wasn't, I wouldn't necessarily go out and do it just with hand paddles, but they worked for sure. They get you down the river kind of thing. They got me down the river way better than I thought possible. So I'm going to throw a little shade at your uh, Toyota uh, Tacoma choice there. Interesting choice, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, personally, I think nothing can beat a minivan. How about, a sp- how, about, how about the Sprinter vans that seem to be endemic around here? I don't know, man. There's a big – it costs a lot of money. I mean, you can get a nice, like, Honda Odyssey minivan for, like, $3,000. How about – Spoken like a true family man. How about those cheapy Sprinter vans? Those, uh, <laughs> I own two of them. <laughs> right? Those, uh, you know, those Ford delivery trucks. What are they called? Uh, yes. The... Transits. Yeah, the Transits. Transits. Yeah, Stoutmeister has one of those. It depends where you live, too, if you need clearance, you know? True. I don't know, man. There's, it's hard to beat a minivan. But you're right. If you're going to go off-roading, you know, a little clearance is If I could get a minivan, I think I'm permanently scarred from my youthful experience of owning a car with an automatic transmission and, like, where the transmission dropped repeatedly. And I just, like, I can't see myself. Like, if you could get a minivan with a standard transmission, I would rethink, maybe. Interesting. There we go. So do you have a camper top on this Tacoma, Lewis? Is that kind of necessary, or you just got an open bed? Uh, pluses and minuses. I've had mine on forever, but I just took it off this summer while I've been running a bunch of stuff to the dump, working on the house, and it's kind of nice for around town. Just, like, throw boats and bikes in the back. But if you're going out for a few days and it's raining and you want to be able to sleep in the back and keep your stuff out of the rain... Caps pretty, pretty key. Hmm. Well, that was pretty good. We gotta tighten up our, we gotta tighten up our questions on that, Lewis. Are on that weld. Well, they were tight on Trello. You just yeah. read the whole emails. Yeah, you could have just read the subject headers rather than the whole emails. Oh, I suck so bad. I got it. I got it all set up for you, Peter. Um... I thought I read them this morning, and I was like, I'm going to nail it. I'm going to be the first person to break a 30-second barrier on five questions in 30 seconds. Oh, I so screwed it up. I'm sorry. I'm not, <laughs> I can't quit thinking about Green Race. 
Um, no, Tacoma, no. No. <laughs> Fuck you, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move into this whole boofing controversy. So we had some listener mail point out a few things about this term boofing that came up in the Supreme Court. Boofing a bad name. Right. Yeah, and so, you know, basically there's articles all over saying boofing has all these different theories and whatnot. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Forget boofing. I want to know if Kavanaugh laid treats in high school. (laughs) And what his explanation would be for what that means. Right. (laughs) So there's a rumor floating around, Weld. There's a rumor floating around that you coined the term boofing. I've heard that many times before, and it's come from a couple authoritative sources. I refuse to acknowledge that, but I mean, I, ref- I would say it's not out of the realm of impossible. Huh. Amongst your circle, when you said yeah. it, had you yes. ever heard it before? I mean, from your brain, was it an original word that came out of your mouth? We started throwing this term around on the Potomac in the early ni- early 80s, 82, 83. It was me and Forrest Noble and, and Schumann, Eric Schumann and Jacoby and a couple others. We were transitioning from fiberglass boats to these plastic boats that Valley Mill just got. We got these, these hydras, and we were driving these boats up on rocks. Right. <laughs> we were driving these boats up on rocks and uh, – you know, ski jumping these things, as we call it, ski jumping. And then we started the onomatopoeia boofing. As far as I can recall, McEwen backs this theory up. I bet we're going to get a ton of people who are going to argue with this, and I'd love to hear from them. But man, I had no idea. I was sitting in such uh, right, such prestigious company here. Well, I just dated myself pretty seriously. Did you? Uh, yeah. Speaking of dating yourself, there, bud. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Let's not go here. <laughs> wait, 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 Come back around here. What do we got? What do we got? Uh, Lewis. No. Look at this. Look at this mark. Th- <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys anyway. don't know, if you're listening to the show, this is the first time that Weld and Geltman are in the same room. And it's, I, I'm digging it, dude. Yeah. You think it's a good dynamic? I, I like it. Yeah. I think, I think the new IR space is going to have a podcast studio. It's going to be like like Kornheiser and Chatter. Right. <laughs> we'll have to get you out here. We do. We actually rented our uh, we rented our space in in White Salmon. This isn't we didn't this isn't breaking news. It's, I think our, our 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 partner in this broke the news, but uh, yeah. So we have a space in White Salmon. It's we're going to share it with Big Man's Rotisserie. And if you're from this area, evidently everybody from this area knows Big Man's Rotisserie. The guy who cuts my hair, the guy we rented the place from, pretty much anyone you talk to knows Big Man's Rotisserie. So it's going to be a retail space, and you can come in and get a beer, and uh, get a chapata and chapati. Chapati. Come on, buddy. <laughs> I'm new to the scene out here, and it's going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. So we're building over the winter; should be up and running soon. Sweet. So yeah. what was the, what was the news? Did we have a? Do, what were you getting ready to say, Liz? Oh, I can't remember. Speaking of dating, <laughs> speaking of dating yourself, yeah, and then it got cut off. Let's go on to uh, the topics of conversation. <laughs> 
<laughs> all right. Um, all right. Uh, so I have we... a birthday. My birthday's this week. That's all. Ah, uh, well, happy birthday. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Well, Adam wants to know where the term "boof" originated. So I, I, I want to pro- ask Weld a little bit more about this. Okay. Is, so were you familiar with its Urban Dictionary definition, or had you heard anything along those lines at that time? Well, this is before Urban Dictionary. No, I know, but I right. Mean, so. <laughs> uh, no, no, I think it was pretty innocent. Or if it, if we did, I don't know. It was this is going back a long time ago, but yeah, I mean the like the the crass definition. I mean, I've never heard anybody use that in earnest. Like, it's always, like, as a mockery of kayakers coming from people who don't kayak. Right. Yeah, I've never, ever heard that term used anywhere. I mean, maybe we're just not hanging out in the the appropriate circles of people ingesting drugs up their ass. (laughs) We're we're not in the correct fraternities. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know where all that came from. When that came out, it was just like, you know, now... If you're just hanging out, you know, you got to watch. You got to you can't just be like sitting with your boys at like a party with other people who are not paddlers and be like, "Did you boof that shit?" You know, you can't <laughs> like, like, like that you can't like that can't just be overheard. I don't know? hang out with anybody who's not really a paddler. I kind of realized this the other day. So it's an insular world where you can throw that term around without without regret. Ah, you got to come to Float Life Fest, well. <laughs> <laughs> Float life fast. What is what does one wheel have to do with floating? Oh, dude, I, I, it's a whole nother show. It's a whole nother show. Go to floatlifefest.com. Check it out. Biggest one wheel event in the world. We had over 80 racers doing I'm a sorry, four mile cross country course. <laughs> <laughs> Just go to floatlifefest.com, dude. It's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. Trust me. Can we move on to the Iceman Championships intern? <laughs> I feel we should, if we're going to one email, we should probably get a plug in for this. All right. All right. All right. Lay it out. Lay it out. Well, this is, this is, this is your peep. So go right. ahead. I'll let you take this one. Okay. Let me find it. Andy Grizzle. So there's a race, um, the Iceman championships. And I can't believe Andy Grizzle has an intern. I don't know how that works, but there's a $500 prize, um, for this kayak race. And it's held down in South America. It's a Mill Race Massacre and Iceman Championships. So, South Carolina, you mean, right? South Carolina, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so anyway, it's the 19th annual. This has been happening. Um, he sends us an email saying, hey, give me a shout-out. So here's your shout-out. Go to Facebook, Mill Race Massacre, and IcemanChampionships.com. No. But it wasn't Andy that wrote. It was Aaron Smith. Yeah, who is? I mean, to me, that was the big news. <laughs> Where's my intern? <laughs> hey, I need an assistant. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I actually went down and in the middle of January set up our outdoor screen at an LVM premiere down there a long, long time ago. But I remember that. Hey, nineteenth year. You're if you're doing it. I mean, Seriously, you. I mean, if you do a race for nineteen years, I mean, you. You. That's. You deserve some credit, man. Seriously. You've you've earned your hammer tech hammer factor shout out. That's for sure. No doubt. Um, let's do one more before we get into rants and raves, fellas. Uh, this comes from Austin Chris. Um, 
Interesting. He says this as we run out of time. He says, hey, guys, a few questions first. Grace, you're always mentioning that you guys are running out of time. Are there listeners complaining that the episodes are too long? I don't think anyone would care if you guys wanted to rant longer. Oh, man, we're out of time for that one. Uh, <laughs> number two, a number of friends have introduced, I've introduced into paddling have asked if there are any resources that explain to read scout water, how to read water. I don't know of anything, but wanted to see if you guys had any that come to mind. Also, Weld, you should just go ahead and make the raincoats. I think people would dig a well-designed raincoat, and it could get more people exposed to the sport who aren't currently paddlers. I'd definitely buy one. Well, I'll take that to heart because we're seriously thinking about it. But anyway, I think the second question, I thought about this. I think when you talk about when people think a non-paddler thinks about running a river, they think of themselves drifting out of control down the middle of the river with no ability to stop. That's their first impression. They're just going to get pushed over a waterfall and there'd be nothing you can do to help that prevent that from happening. But as soon as you kayak for more than a couple months, you start to figure out that that just doesn't really, that's not the way things work, right? You just learn how to eddy scout things, starting from class two and building your up to, all the way up to like class, being able to eddy scout class five, right? Oh, yeah. But I'll tell you, I am constantly amazed with paddlers that I paddle with, some not as good as me, some better than me. Have you ever noticed everybody reads water just a little bit different? They just like, I'm always amazed to see, oh, they got speed on that little feature. I wasn't even thinking about that. Or they took a stroke on the right side where I was totally thinking left. I don't know. Reading water is fascinating to me. It's like one of the most fascinating parts of kayaking, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's that's the hook of kayaking is reading water and getting good at it. Yeah. It would be cool to, like, come up with the resource and really break it down, but it's just so... It's such an on-the-fly, instinctual thing. I mean, the basics of it are like, you know, not, you know, don't get in that current that goes to the undercut, go over here or whatever. But, like, if you're just trying to get speed and weird water to boof over a hole, that term. It's always, like, yeah, like, to me what's fascinating is, like, when you're running just, like, you know, class three or class four, and you see those sort of inviting boofs. And you like always, I feel like as you get older, you sort of, I don't know, you just like start to get a sense of like when it's going to be good and when it's not going to be good. And you're always kind of like making a guess, but like, it's hard to even articulate what it is that you're picking up on. That's like helping you make those decisions. But like your ability to guess that right gets like really good over time. And it's, I don't know, it's hard to articulate, you know, it's very much like learning a different language fluently it is beyond conversational i mean you have to learn to run class five you have to be able to speak fluent whitewater and it's funny too it's like all the boys out here who are getting into paragliding and it's always sort of you know i sort of think about it sometimes and i think that's the aspect of it to me that's most appealing is it seems like a very similar sort of activity just sort of like looking at this really complex environment and trying to pick up on all these little cues and sort of form like a mental model of everything that's going on and act on that, you know, it's the most compelling thing to me. And anytime I ever, somebody's like, Hey, I'd like you to teach me how to kayak, you know, whatever. I'm like, you know, if I'm going to, we got a plan for a couple of weeks out when I'm going to take him on the water or on the river for the first time, I'm always like, Hey, just go to all the pretty waterfalls and go look at them one last time. Cause you'll never look at them the same. 
You know what I mean? Like once you've been kayaking, you can't go to a waterfall and not look at it as, I wonder if there's a line. Right. I mean, always slow over, go slow over a bridge going over a river. Yeah, exactly. I got to take a look. <laughs> so I always tell them, I'm like, all right, just go out there and just like enjoy some pretty waterfalls and pretty rivers because you'll just constantly be reading them from now on. I don't, I don't know. It's a curse. It's a curse of the kayaking. Man, we got some more things here. I, I'll tell you one I really want to get into, and we obviously we're out of time. <laughs> Carl Whip has a really good one. How does parenthood change you as a paddler, and how does raising children in the paddling community? Um, man, let's take this one to the next show because I have a I, I have a half hour I could talk about this. Yeah, I thought about I thought about this too after he wrote it. So we should we should move that to the next to the next show. But being that we're an hour and a half in, let's move into everyone's favorite part of the show, our rants and raves segment. This is where our hosts go on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that is making them all fired up or making them feel boofy. <laughs> <laughs> Would anybody like to lead us off? I have a rant and a rave. Hmm. I'm going to rant. I'm going to lead us off. So these bibs that we buy for the green race, okay? So reliable racing. I think I've had some dialogue with Kara about these bibs in the past. But anyway, when Hmm. we first started getting these bibs, we used to just get one set of bibs, and then people wouldn't turn them back. And then we'd have, like, mixed-up numbers, people coming to the finish line. So a few years back, probably five years ago or something, we were like, all right, well, you got to buy your bib. You know, the race is free, but you have to buy a bib. It's yours to keep, you know. That way, like, we don't have to wash them and order. I mean, it's just like a huge time suck. So anyway, we bought these bibs. They're really nice. The company's Reliable Racing. I've hooked, like, the Akoe race up with all kinds of races who have reached out for me and whatever. These guys keep raising their prices on the bibs. Originally, it, they were like fourteen ninety nine, and then they were like sixteen ninety nine, and then they were like nineteen ninety nine, and now they're like twenty one ninety nine for a bib. So if you, well, you should get into bib making, dude. I'm telling you, I bet you could make a bib cheaper than these guys because it's getting ridiculous. Twenty two bucks for a bib with a number on it. Doesn't that seem ridiculous? No. You guys. That's my rant. (laughs) (laughs) No. Y'all are suspiciously cheap, in my opinion. Uh, Well, anyway, I'm just. I feel like if whatever your business model is, it's making something cheaper than a product that's already out there, you should probably keep thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're a bib maker, reach out to me because I would like to find some less expensive bibs. Although they're really nice and they do a good job of printing them and the whole nine yards, but still, it's just just like swiping $3,000 on my credit card and bibs. I'm like, how did that happen? My jump off on that is not making bibs big enough to fit over a life jacket. Like, I hope you're taking that into account. I feel like oftentimes you go to a race and it's like you can't breathe because the bib wasn't made to wear over a life jacket. No, these bibs are good like that. I've got the size and everything down. They're really good. I shouldn't rant about it. Anyway. <laughs> Does anybody else have anything they'd like to add to this rants and rave segment? To yours or the segment in general? Segment in general. You guys are just sitting there shaking your head at me. So. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna rave about the golly. 
I've been missing the golly terribly this fall. Like I actually had a dream about the golly a couple of weeks ago. <sighs> it is such a good river. It's so fun, so warm. But you know, I was talking with a raft. I wasn't one of our uh, Max or one of our people was talking to a rafting company. The Gala. We used to sell them wetsuits. They don't buy wetsuits anymore because it's no longer cold enough on the Gala to need wetsuits. They just don't use them. Wow. So I want to back that up with. It used to be when we had Green Race. I don't want to date myself, but twenty years ago on my first green race that it was there was no there were no leaves on the trees it looked like winter you could go back through the video it was just brown trees no leaves whatever and if you Mm -hmm. just follow it through all of the races like right now it's still green outside it's going to be peak leaf season i mean peak leaves down there it may not even be peak yet so that kind of goes along with what you're saying fall is being pushed way back man that's wild um i'm gonna rave uh my sister polina and andrew McHugh and my brother-in-law they just had their my nephew this weekend they just moved out to white salmon super excited to have him out here and to be an uncle again nice how many times over yeah. are you an uncle Liz? two nice Get over there, take care of that baby. Get yourself your own so you can participate in our uh, conversation I, next week. I, oh, man, I hung out with my niece for like a whole day while they were off at the hospital, and I was so exhausted. I don't know how you guys do it, man. I don't know if it's for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, get yourself some twins, man. <laughs> Can't even imagine. Well, thank you for listening. Thanks for all of the listener mail. We don't... We, I don't want anybody out there to think that we don't read through every one of these just because it doesn't make the show. But uh, big thanks to everybody out there. And we'll try and get a little bit more repetition into this thing. That was kind of a long break. A lot of people commented on that. So makes you feel good. And we're going to try and do our best moving forward. Yep. Maybe we should build a podcasting studio here in White Salmon. That'd be kind of fun, huh? Yeah, do it. I can hook you up. So either you guys coming to race? No. (laughs) Thanks for listening.